This is the scene of the crime. A crime of passion, filmed in a way you have never seen before. And as no one else would dare attempt, but the screen's master of suspense, the producer-director who shocked the world with Psycho. This is the apartment of a man named Jeffries, a news photographer whose beat used to be the world. Right now, his world has shrunk down to the size of this window. He's been watching the people across the way. Nobody seems to pull their blinds during a hot spell like this. He knows a lot about them by now. Too much, perhaps. For instance, down there on the second floor, the woman pacing about. He calls her Miss Lonely Hearts. So lonely that even death seems like a friend. These are the newlyweds on a honeymoon no one will ever forget. He calls her Miss Hearing Aid, an artist of a very odd and strange art. The songwriter who plays the same melody over and over again. A genius or insane? This is the traveling salesman and his invalid wife. Out of their arguments and nagging comes a weird kind of love. Miss Torso, the body beautiful. That is, viewed from a safe distance. Those are just a few of my neighbors. First, I watched them just to kill time, but then I couldn't take my eyes off them, just as you won't be able to. And you won't be able to take your eyes off the glowing beauty of Grace Kelly, who shares the heart and curiosity of James Stewart in this story of a romance shadowed by the terror of a horrifying secret. Welcome back to the Essential Films Podcast, a podcast devoted to the discussion of the greatest movies ever made or the Essential Films. Uh, we're coming back after about a two-month hiatus, so we apologize for, the, for that little break there, but real life got in the way uh, and we were unable to record when we wanted to, but we're back and we're back with a great episode. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Mark Espinosa. How are you doing today? Oh no, that sinister kid's coming to kill me. Help! 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 I'm gonna you go ahead. To do that, right? I, I'm gonna go ahead and, and guess that was a Simpsons reference. Absolutely. <laughs> and I tried to do my best Jimmy Stewart impression, but I'm probably screwed that up. So I apologize to the ears of the audience in advance. <laughs> so, uh, as as you may have guessed, we are going to be doing uh, Alfred Hitchcock's uh, Rear Window this week. Uh, before you get to that, before we get to that, uh, Mark, how you been doing? What what do you, what's been going on in your life? Pretty good, man. Uh, you know, I think the last time we even spoke, 
it was right before uh, I went to Orlando for WrestleMania, so I was there that whole week to do all that stuff. I visited the parks, Disney Universal, which I know you visited Disney recently as well. Awesome place. Um, then we did all the WrestleMania stuff. Um, and then it's been a pretty like quiet month as far as movie-wise for me. Like, I haven't really done much as, you know, get up, go to work, come home. Although I did see Guardians of the Galaxy, which we'll talk about on our next Force Perspective episode. But, uh, I mean, that's pretty much what I've been doing the last two months. Uh, how you been, bud? Good. I also went to Orlando, not for for uh, not for that uh, weekend, but for just a separate weekend altogether. Where my uh, I went there with my wife and my daughter, um, and uh, we we did the whole Kingdom Magic Kingdom thing. We did the Disney Hollywood Studios thing, and you know it's funny because I haven't been there in I think the last time I went was two thousand three. Uh, yeah. So it's been a while, and I, I, Magic or sorry Disney Hollywood Studios has really changed a lot. Magic Kingdom not as much. Uh, but Hollywood Studios had first of all when I went there it was still MGM Studios. Um, Me too. And second of all, you know it was uh, there's a couple things that I noticed that they were different. The, the big Mickey Sorcerer's Apprentice hat wasn't there anymore. Yeah, they took that out just recently. I think. Okay, so before last year, I actually hadn't been to Disney since 1995. Mm-hmm. So when I went returned, I think my grand return last year in 06 in January when I was there for the Royal Rumble. Um, that. The sorcerer, I think, was already gone by then, or it was. I don't remember if it was gone or if it was. They were already planning on getting rid of it. I can't remember exactly. I don't remember seeing it there in uh, last year. But uh, yeah, that that thing is gone, man. Because I remember reading about it too that they were going to get rid of that for something. Mm. And, and and I did not, unless I missed it, I did not see the water tower with the Mickey ears either. I think they tore that down recently because of the Star Wars thing they're building there. Oh, okay. Because I remember people made a big fuss about that water tower being gone. Now, is the Avatar Park going to be part of Hollywood Studios? I don't know, actually. I haven't. I don't haven't really read much about the Avatar Park. I mean, if, are they still building that? Yeah, I think it's almost done. I think it's like really. Yeah, because whenever I was so when you're there, we we downloaded this Disney app, like so you so you could do your fast passes and everything like that. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. that's a requirement now. Yeah, so like. Uh, one of the things that was on there, I saw like you could look at all the different attractions across all the different parks, and yeah. you know one of them said the Avatar World, and it said coming soon or something. And I, uh, but it was obviously closed. Let me see if I can get into the app now and see if I can if if, if I can find it. But um, I was wondering what studio, what park it was going to be in. I it, I would imagine Hollywood Studios. It would have to be, yeah. But uh, I don't I don't remember seeing that at all. So that's interesting. Yeah, it was definitely on the app. So I'm, I'm interested to see what they're going to do with it. I know when I when we went to so my I took my daughter to the um uh, the first day I was there, it was just me and my daughter, which I have a new appreciation for parents and ki- uh, taking their kids to uh, to theme parks now. I have new appreciation to my for my my mother and father because uh, it was just me by myself the one day. Um and went to Hollywood Studios and she liked the Muppets one. She liked the Muppets 3D. That one's fun, bro. You know, like we when uh, when uh, Joe and I went to that one, we it was it's so funny because it was, I didn't intentionally forget to tell him that I was there because if you don't know, Joe's a big Muppet mark, and he doesn't really really because I mean the Mupp- the Muppets aren't really that much of a thing anymore, so he doesn't really have a chance to express it like on Facebook and whatnot. But that guy's a huge Muppet mark. So when we finished Star Tours and we're walking down like to this other side of the park to see what else is there, like I knew the Muppets were there. I didn't know that he didn't know that the Muppets were there. I, I told him, I thought you knew about this. And he sees it. He goes, oh, we got to do this. I mean, it was 9 o'clock. At, oh, no, not 9 It was almost 9 o'clock. Park was about to close. He's like, we got to do this. We got to do this. And I think it was just the two of us and like five of the people. 
in the in the show, like for that last, and it must have been the last show because the parks about to close, so it must have been we were like probably the last showing of the of the Muppet 3D thing. So it was cool, man. I mean, it was a nice little little show. We 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 had fun with it. Yeah, my daughter loved it. Of all things, she that's the thing she loved. She went on it twice, um, but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so as I was walking to the Muppet thing, um, the you pass like a construction area, and, and I don't know what the, I didn't know if that was Avatar or if that was more Star Wars stuff. I couldn't tell. That, yeah, I, I saw that that there is construction there, and I don't know what it is either. It could be. I thought it was Star Wars, and I didn't had no idea about the Avatar thing. So, um, it, I mean, it could be either one. And speaking of Avatar, sorry, speaking of Star Wars, it's funny how that park is just like half Star Wars now. Like, I mean, there's Disney stuff, you know, and then there's just like, uh, we got into the park, like, right when they were doing one of the Imperial marches down the street, right? Yeah, uh, we were awesome. Bro. We were, uh, like, because the first thing we got, we saw when we got, got into the park was Daisy Duck doing uh, the signings and stuff in the pictures. And my, my daughter loves Daisy Duck, so I was standing in line to get her picture with Daisy Duck. And then all of a sudden, you hear the dun 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 dun. dun. And then I'm like, what? And then I look, and then there's the, there's Captain Phasma and all the stormtroopers and stuff. Just walking down the street. Uh, anyway, but yeah, and then yeah, um, it was the March of the First Order thing, right? March like, of the they First do, like, Order, like every hour, I think. Or something. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then, pretty much shortly after that, we saw the Star Wars live show in the middle of the park, um, which just randomly we got there like randomly as they started to start as it was starting. And my my daughter, interestingly enough, liked Darth Vader. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, it, it's just almost all Star Wars now. It's kind of funny. It it really is. It, it's so funny. Uh, during one of the marches, well, it wasn't a march actually, because the the stormtroopers just randomly patrol the park. So um, when uh, we encountered like three of them, like it was so funny. Joe actually goes up to one of them and like points his and points his hand like he's about to shoot him, and the stormtrooper just like he shakes his head like, no, you're not doing that, and they just walk past him. It was a great moment, bro. <laughs> I'm, I'm, rem- I'm remembering this now, and I'm, I'm having a ball because he just legit went up to them and just pointed his, his hand like he was going to shoot them like in the, in the form of a gun. And the sword just waved them like, you're not doing that to me. And he just walked away. So, <laughs> so that's pretty awesome. We also – um. We met Chewbacca too. I don't know about did you meet like Kylo Ren or Chewbacca? Or no, of those? no, we didn't go to the launch bay because um, cause that would have been like – you know, it, it was just – there's uh, too many things to do, and and you know when you have like a little toddler, they get hot and they get cranky and stuff. Yeah. So we didn't do the whole park. I, so I know that those were at the, those characters at the or at the launch bay, and I didn't launch go there. Launch bay, yeah. Uh, I did I did do star tours um, by myself whenever my wife got there, uh, but uh, I, I did not do I did not do launch bay. Yeah, the star tours is awesome because I'm sure I, like they told you you know on Facebook it's different every time you go. Yeah, on, it which is, is different. Awesome. Uh, uh, however, I, I mean, as fun as it was, I feel like I got the lame one because my 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 ride went through the pod racing. I had that one too. It, now, the when I went last year, I, I it, it was right after Force of Weekends had come out, so they actually had one with BB-8. Like it was uh, it was C three PO R two and then BBA part of the show mm-hmm. and we went to like Kashyyyk and Mustafar that one was pretty cool, but I think I got the one you got because it had the pod race and I think we went to Hoth I don't remember if it was Hoth or not but we had uh, the pod race and we had there was another one I think it was um I think it was Coruscant oh, okay. I think it was Coruscant the Wait. pod race and like one other thing yeah that sounds like right that sounds about right I got Coruscant and the and the pod race I don't remember Hoth. 
Maybe they had Hoth. I don't remember though. Uh, man, but it was fun though. It was a fun ride, despite it, it being fun. prequel heavy. It was. It was fun. Now, uh, I have to say though, I, I think you're in my boat as well because I, I guess it's a sign of age. By the way, as as of this recording, in three days I turned thirty years old, and I'm very depressed about that. But uh, I think it's just a sign of aging that like I can't do these rides much anymore, like these motion rides, without feeling sick afterwards. It's like. Yeah, I mean, it's just something with age. Like I, when I was younger, I didn't. I can go on all these rides like twenty times, and I wouldn't feel a thing. Now I go on one, I take like an hour break because my head hurts. So it's just I don't know, man. But I mean, it's still fun. It's just I don't like how I feel afterwards. Yeah, it's um, it, it, that's the only ride that tested my uh, that tested my uh, my balance or my inner ear, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. Because um, that one I went on by myself because my wife was watching. Uh, well, I think my wife is taking my daughter to the second tour of the Muppets again. Um, <laughs> but uh, because, you know, when you have a toddler, you're not going to do all the crazy rides. I, you know, the, I think the craziest we got was the Buzz Lightyear spin, shoot and spin thing. Uh, and I, that's didn't not that that crazy. One. I didn't do that one, but I did the uh, Toy Story Mania at Hollywood Studios, which is the exact same ride where you have to shoot. Okay. So, that, that's fun. That's yeah. a fun ride. Um, uh, yeah, so I didn't. So I mean, we. I mean, we did. And when we were at Magic Kingdom, we did. Uh, I mean, we did Haunted Mansion. Uh, we did. That's a great ride. I didn't do it this year, but I did it last year. That's yeah, a, that's we, we did like Little Mermaid ride, Bunny the Pooh ride, uh, and I forget the other ones we did. But I did the, the Pooh ride with uh, with Heather and uh, and J. Oh, JD wasn't actually didn't go to that ride. It was Heather and she took the kids, and I actually went on that ride because I know my mother loves Winnie the Pooh. So what I did was I actually recorded the entire ride and I played it for her back when I when I got home. So that was a... <laughs> so that's what I, yeah, that's what I, I mean. It's it's a, that that Winnie the Pooh's a baby ride. You just go through like the different, oh yeah, like, absolutely parts of a hundred acre wood and that's it. That's the whole ride. Yeah, so, it's, I mean it's all it is. Nothing so, happened. So yeah. I I didn't do any of the cool cool rides because you know a she's a toddler and b you know uh, she wouldn't be tall enough for anything. So maybe next time we'll go we'll get to do some of the other stuff. So I didn't do for example um, I didn't do. Uh, uh, um, uh, Space Mountain. I didn't do Tower of Terror. I didn't do. Uh, oh, you missed out, man! Tower, uh, I love Tower of Terror. And I, I definitely missed out because that's going to be gone soon because they're replacing it, right? I, I heard. I don't know if it's that one or if it's the one in California. Oh, I thought the they were Disneyland replacing one. both of them. Actually, that I don't know. I, I read that it was the Disneyland one, but I don't know if it's both because if it is, that's very depressing. But anyway, uh, but yeah, so it was. Uh, it was. It was fun. It was a fun time. Uh, got my Disney on. Uh, definitely want to go back because I definitely we did not do everything we wanted to do. You uh, can't possibly, yeah. It, it, even when well, when I went to Universal and I we basically when we went to buy our our Express Pass for everything, and we told the counter lady like we're we're here for WrestleMania, but we're trying to do this and we're trying to do uh Disney in two days, and they're like you can't. That's not going to work. You can't possibly do everything in every park in two days. Like we know that. That's why like the Flash Pass helps or whatever you call it, the Express Pass, but. Uh, you just can't do everything in like a day, two days. It's just it's impossible. And the thing I got I want to add too is that Universal, pretty much like ninety percent of the rides there are like the motion rides. So I felt it afterwards. Like when I got back to the hotel that night after Universal, I was like, uh, <laughs> I was like, I can't do any more of this. I don't know what's wrong with me. I guess it's the age thing, but like the Jimmy Fallon ride is motion sickness. The uh, Despicable Me was motion sickness. Like every other ride there, I got like kind of motion. The Simpsons ride, which is my favorite ride, it's I got motion sickness. It's like oh my god. Like I, hopefully I can still I can keep keep going at my age trying doing these rides. Roller coasters are different. Roller coasters I can do without feeling anything still, but with the other like those 3D motion rides, it's uh, they, yeah. they kind of hit 
hard. Yeah, I think it'd be okay if it wasn't 3D. If it wasn't 3D, what I think that added element is what makes it what messes me up, right? Yeah, I, that, that's probably it too, actually, to be honest. Uh, but I can do roller coasters as well. Although I've never done the the Aerosmith roller coaster, I'm not sure if it's any good. That is fun. Is that it fun? is a great ride. That is a great ride because it's one of those um where they basically have the countdown. Well, I'll tell you this, the quick storyline. Basically, you're like backstage at an Aerosmith like recording session, and their agent comes in and they're like, "Oh, you know, you're late for your concert. Like, oh, we got we we invited these people to our recording session. Now, you know, we got to go. Like, can we bring them with us?" And like, yeah, yeah, sure. So they call this big limo, which is supposed to be like the roller coaster, and you all go on it. And they start you off like they don't. You know how traditionally like you go up like the slope. Yeah. And they, they build that tension. No, they just start you like they give you a count of like three two one and then they just shoot you and it just goes up and it was a great ride they play like the aerosmith like you know doodles like a lady and all those other classic aerosmith songs while you're while you're on the ride it's, it's great man awesome ride. yeah it's one of those rides that it's in the two times i've been to disney whenever it when that ride existed for one reason or another i just never got to it because i was doing other stuff right because i prioritized other stuff over it so i've yet to do it so maybe next time i'll do it now the other one that's it's at universal the other one that's great is called the rock and roller coaster which i don't know if you saw any of the wrestlemania like videos and they were at the parks but like you know i think uh wait the the aerosmith Aerosmith is called the rock and roller coaster uh, then it was something. It's called something else. Then hold on, hold on. Now, see, now it's gonna bug me because I'm getting the. I think it's the Rippin Ride or something. Oh, okay. Uh, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm gonna look this up right now. Universal Studios Rip Ride Rocket. Rip Ride Rocket. There you go. That's the Hollywood Rip Ride Rocket at Universal Studios. That's the one where if you watch any of the WWE videos that week, like New Day rode it. Kathy Kelly was on it. I think uh, Lana rode it. Like everybody that was there rode this ride because this is the ride. The roller coaster at Universal, and basically how it works is that they, when you get on the in the cart, they actually give you a choice of song. Like you get to pick the song that you listen to while you're on the oh. on the ride. They have like different genres. They have like rap, they have pop, they have classic rock. You know, so I and because it was Mania, like I wanted to pick this EDM song they like from Daft Punk, but because it was Mania weekend and I saw that they had Limp Bizkit's Roll in there, I'm oh, like, geez. you know what? For the Undertaker, I gotta I gotta listen to Roland, so oh, that's what I <laughs> Uh but yeah, it was good times. It, 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 it is it is a different experience when you take a little kid when you take a toddler there than whenever yeah. you're there as a teenager or an adult. Every time we walk by the um the Snow White uh mine mine roller coaster, mine cart roller coaster, every time we, we walk by that, we're like, Oh man, that looks like so much fun. So but we did Yeah, but yeah, to... you walk you walk by that, but then you see the the yeah, it's a two... twenty minute wait. Yeah, time. it's a two hour line, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when uh, I went on that it's because J D had the the flash pass. That was the uh... first ride we went on like at nine o'clock in the morning. So uh... So we got to do it like that was the first thing we did, and, and you know we just went right through the line. It, it's, it's a fun ride, you know. It's 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 a baby roller coaster because it's just like up and down. There's no like real, real bends, but it's a good ride though. It does. It looks like fun. And I All have right. to ask before we move on. No, no. Before we move on, I have to ask you, what did you think of Be Our Guest? Oh, Be Our Guest is a great restaurant. It was actually the best. Actually, no, the the um. The so it was the one of the two best restaurants we ate at. The first one was the. You- Hollywood and Vine. Hollywood and right? Vine was really good because that that was like a buffet. Uh, it had some really good food at the buffet. Like it had like also it had shrimp and plantains and uh, yeah, that buffet uh, is it was, awesome. It was ridiculous. Awesome. It's ridiculous, bro. I went back yeah. to like three or four plates. 
But here's here's why here's where I'm jealous of you. You got the good people. You got Mickey. You got Goofy. I think you got Minnie. You got all the the A listers. You know who I got in mind? I got Doc McStuffins. I got Handy <laughs> Manny. I got all those jobbers, bro. Like for real. <laughs> yeah, we did get the A list. And then, but the thing is, we booked it, and like we got. I think you. I, we paid extra to be able to meet them. Uh, and make sure that we got Mickey and 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 whoever to come to our table or whatever, um, and then we got front row seats for Fantasmic because of it too. Oh yeah, Fantasmic is an epic, epic, and I, really I hate that you didn't you didn't stay for the whole thing because the fireworks at the end is just amazing. But I mean, just the part you saw, I'm sure, like was was great. Like it's a great little show. We were, I mean, we saw most of it. We saw like 95 percent because as we, you know, as we were walking to like the stroller area to get the stroller, we could still see like the top half of the show, and then like then the show ended. So like, and you you just... didn't get lost, right? Because no, <laughs> we forgot where we put our stroller, so we spent a good like 10 minutes trying to find it. Oh no, no, because like you see a sea of roller coasters, not roller. I'm sorry, a sea of strollers, and it's like. Uh, where did ours go? <laughs> so that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, but Hollywood and Vine was really good food, and BR Guest was really good food too. So they both had they both had, re- and the, the BR Guest place was was really nice. Although we, it, it took us a while to get in because it was almost like it was almost like a, its own ride because you had to like wait in line. Yeah, yeah. To, it was it was ridiculous, but it was yeah. good. It was the food was good. I, I got annoyed, bro, at Hollywood and Vine because Handy Manny kept coming up to me and trying to bother me. I'm like, dude, I'm trying to eat. Like go go play with the kids. I don't like, even know who Handy Manny is. Really? He's just some some show on Disney Junior. He's like Bob the Builder, but Hispanic. Okay. So, right. But uh, but the BR guest thing is is awesome because, like, you, you like the the little concept. Like they basically like they you tell them like what you want, and they just tell you, okay, go sit wherever you want. We're gonna find you. Like and yeah, and they say like, and I'm asking like, okay, like I can just sit anywhere. Yeah, we'll find you by magic or something like that. And I'm like, okay. That's kind of cool, and I, I literally just picked, like, the most random spot in the little cafeteria thing there, and they found me. I'm like, okay. Like, am I wearing some sort of – maybe the from, the, like, the magic bands or something, they were able to track you or something, but I don't know. It was kind of weird, but, like, it was cool at the same time. Yeah. You know what I found interesting about the about, about Disney World, which I, I, I wouldn't have known until I had a kid, was that every time my daughter, like, interacted with a quote-unquote cast member – uh, they always uh, call they always called her princess. I think that's a thing that they do. That they always called, they also, I wonder what they call little boys. Well, I would assume princess. I mean, they, I, I mean, we did have uh, JD and Heather did have their boys there. I wasn't really paying attention when they were with the characters and the cast members, so uh, I don't really know what. I'm sure they called him like a prince because he got knighted uh, uh, at, the, at the castle. He they paid for that whole thing. They should too, call him so Jedi's. Well, that's probably the new thing now that they that they own that. They Although Jedi's gender that. neutral, you can call anybody a Jedi. True. All right. But, uh, anyway. <laughs> anyway, so uh, now that we've gone over our, our, our Disney experiences, uh, which is still movie related, um, uh, we, we're here to talk about uh, the 1954 Alfred Hitchcock classic, uh, Rear Window. Rear Window, um, spoiler alert, one of my top five favorite movies of all time. Yeah, that's a favorite of a lot of people. Like, I got a, when I posted on Facebook that I was watching this movie, I got a pretty nice response. Um, and, uh, and it's funny. Uh, I just actually today, uh, the, the day of this recording, I actually was at a at a manager's meeting for work. And the guy that uh, I was carpooling with, like when I was saying my goodbyes to him, you know, we started chit chatting for a little bit beforehand. And he goes like, "Hey, I saw you like uh, you were watching the Rear Window that time." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." Like I was like last week. And 
he goes like yeah you like hitchhiker like dude i have like the whole set like yeah man that guy's like a like a, that's a master bro like i love all his movies you know so we had a nice little hitchcock chat and you know it's it's just one of those movies that for the i don't know about you bro but a lot of people see this as a perfect film oh, you know maybe even, even more so than maybe like citizen kane this is this is a top to bottom a lot of people say this is a perfect movie this is a perfect film to me and it's uh, and it's not, and not only is it perfect, it's, it's, it's in my top five. And it's also, in my opinion, the best Hitchcock film. I know everyone goes to Psycho uh, or Vertigo, but to me, and I love Psycho and I love Vertigo. We already, we did an episode on Vertigo. Um, but to me, Rear Window is his absolute greatest movie. I can definitely see that. I have my personal favorites, which is not Rear Window, but it's like my number two. Because I, I do have a salsa for Psycho, and for different reasons, which we, when we do Psycho, I can get into them. But Rear Window is a solid number two for me. Yeah. So uh, Rear Window here, uh, just go go through its stats here. Directed by Alfred Hitchcock, produced by Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, screenplay by John Michael Hayes, based on the short story It Had to Be Murder by Cornell Woolrich. Uh, starring James Stewart, Grace Kelly, Wendell Corey, Thelma Ritter, who's, who's an MVP in this movie. And Raymond, <laughs> and Raymond Burr, uh, distributed by Paramount Pictures. Uh, the film was nominated for four Oscars. It won zero. Uh, it was nominated for director, screenplay, uh, cinematography and sound mixing. Uh, so those are those are that's a quick tale of tape on Rear Window there. Um, but yeah, it, it, th- this film absolutely a hundred percent perfect film. There's there is no flaw in this film whatsoever. I have to agree with that. And this is me preparing for this uh, for this show. I watched it about three times, and each time I'm just I just keep getting blown more and more away by how great this movie is. Like because. The thing with Hitchcock is this guy was such a perfectionist. Like, everything was, like, choreographed to a T. Like, he knew what he wanted out of his actors. He knew what he wanted out of his set. He knew what he wanted out of his background people. Like, everything was just so, like, organized and had a purpose. And you, every time you watch this movie, you come to see just exactly what that purpose was. And it makes the film even better. Absolutely. Um, Before we get into the heavy details here, uh, I just wanted to ask you, when did you first experience this film? So I kind of gave a hint about that with my little intro earlier in the show, but I'm a huge Simpsons fan, as we said many times on this show. Um, and I watched that episode, Bart of Darkness, so many times. It's one of part of the the Golden Age of the Simpsons episodes, and it's for those who know, it's the episode where Bart gets the the Simpsons by a pool. <laughs> and as simple as that synopsis is, it, a lot of wackiness ensues with that, and there's a lot of classic jokes in it. But, you know, long story short, Bart breaks his leg, so now he's going to miss the whole summer while everybody else gets to enjoy the pool. He sits in his room looking down through his window with a cast, just like our good friend uh, J- Jimmy Stewart. And so Lisa has uh, Lisa has Bart use her telescope as kind of a way to alleviate his boredom. So he goes on his telescope and he sees, you know, he hears a woman scream and he sees that Ned Flanders is burying something. Presumably a body. And that kind of, you know, at that point, uh, Bart Simpson becomes, you know, L.B. Jeffries. <laughs> and they, and it proceeds to do a very hilarious parody of Rear Window to a point where you see the little cameo from, quote-unquote, Jimmy Stewart saying, oh, no, that boy's coming to kill me. And he's holding the camera just like uh, Jimmy Stewart is in the film. <laughs> but uh, when I was – those first early years that I was watching that episode, I'm like, that has to be Jimmy Stewart because – I grew up watching It's a Wonderful Life. We talked about that, you know, when we did that movie. 
And I'm like, that that's Jimmy Stewart because it sounds just like like so like, but I didn't know the understand the reference or like what it was. I just knew that was Jimmy Stewart. Years later, when I uh, started becoming more familiar with films, when I started becoming more impassioned by films, uh, I discovered Hitchcock, I discovered Psycho, I discovered Vertigo, and I discovered Rear Window. And when I saw the the trailer for, I think it was a trailer, maybe it was like uh, a scene from Rear Window during my film class. You know, I saw um, the scene where, like, uh, Jimmy Stewart is looking down from his camera, and I'm like, wait a minute. That's the same camera from the Simpsons episode. He's in a cast, in a wheelchair. That's where they got it from. And it was like, my mind was blown at that moment. I was like, I have to watch this now. So I believe I rented it from the library. It wasn't an assignment because um, I think the lesson was about, like, just Hitchcock in general. We didn't have to watch any Hitchcock or, like, read anything. Like, it was just a general Hitchcock lesson. Um, so I went out to my library and I actually got the DVD of Rear Window and I watched it and that's immediately blown away by it. Became a favorite of mine and I've watched it many times since. Yeah, I mean, after you watch it once, you want to keep rewatch. It's it's such a rewatchable film uh, because because every because every time you watch it, you notice like little tiny things here and there that that the Hitchcock did. Um, the first time I watched the film was was in it was in film school, um, and it was when we were ta- when we were studying sound, sound and films, and how how you can manipulate sound to to create you know uh, to create um, a, a rich you know a rich cinematic environment. And you know this film does use sound really really well. I mean it, I, I mentioned already that it was nominated for best sound mixing uh, at the top of the show, um, but it it it, it is something that you know not not only with the you know the, the sounds of the street but you, you know the different sounds of that he hears from from you know watching is he's because he's not just watching he's also listening as well you know and the the song that's being you know being played throughout the film uh sound plays a major role in this film so uh, that's why they kind of kind of taught it as part of our kind of sound lesson uh that and the movie uh, a man escaped i'm not sure if you've ever seen the man escaped have you? That one I haven't. Yeah, it's a French. Uh, it's a French film about a uh, uh, about a uh, a prisoner uh, in a. I believe it's a German prison camp, and, and he's um and he just escapes. He escapes prison. Uh, and and sound plays a major role in that one too. Where like the last hour of the film is this dude escaping prison, and he's always the kind of listening for for you know guards or or dogs or something like that that might you know give him up. So. Uh, but anyway, those are the two movies we watched, you know, to talk about sound and cinema. So that that's the first time I watched it, and I I, I don't know, if, no, it wasn't the first Hitchcock film I watched. Cause I think that was Psycho. This may have been like the second Hitchcock film I'd ever seen. So uh, this remains a this remains my favorite of all time uh, ever since then. It's been going on fifteen years now, and, and it hasn't moved from that spot. So. And this is now after having seen, I'd say, ninety percent of his of his catalog too. So yeah, uh, it's uh, I don't think it will it, it will move from there either. Yeah, I mean you, I mean I've yet to watch ninety percent of his film. I mean you've watched even some of his stinkers. Oh yeah, so there's this. So folks, there is a a, a DVD you can get on Amazon. It's called. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock, The Legend Begins. It's called Twenty Movie Classics. Now they use classics a little loosely here because. <laughs> um, Hitchcock, and uh, you know, he definitely had some uh, growing pains because I'd say half of the movies I've seen on this disc, on these discs so far. Um, well, first of all, th- these are like all public domain films, so like the quality's crap. But um, half of them are just 
horrible. Like, they're absolutely horrible. The only ones that are any good are ones that Criterion has already put in their collection, like 39 Steps, The Lady Vanishes, The Man Who Knew Too yeah. Much. Um, there's a, And then The Lodger was, is actually really good. The rest of them um, are really kind of terrible. So having seen... Um, Almost, almost all of his his collection. Uh, Rear window still st- sits at number one for me. Oh, of course, of course. Now, in that collection, it's the original man who knew too much. The first one, right? Right, the original one, not the Jimmy Stewart oh. one. Okay, gotcha. Just making sure because <laughs> that's the Criterion one, also. Right? Yes, correct. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, and it's funny because I have this this DVD set, but all the movies that are any good, I are I have them sep- on a separate yeah, piece, yeah, on a separate exactly. Blu-ray from from uh, from Criterion, except for the larger, which is coming out soon. Um, awesome. Anyway, uh, so let's get into the movie here. Uh, so the plot uh, of the film is that, uh, and you know, right away the film. This is why I think this film is perfect because within the first two minutes. It sets everything up and that you need to know for the entire movie, and without even saying a word, uh, you see that it, you see that it's summer because everybody in the in the courtyard uh, has the has their windows wide open, right? You see, and you pan in and you see uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart. He's in a wheelchair. He's got uh, he's got a cast on. Uh, you see different pictures from around the around the apartment. You get these sense. Oh, he's a photographer, and then you see. Uh, busted camera, and then next to the busted camera, I see a picture of a, of a race car exploding. So he's like, okay, so he got into an accident trying, taking this picture uh, of the race car exploding. Uh, you see a picture of a, a negative of like a Time magazine cover of a model. So you know, okay, he also takes model uh, photos of models, which is how he ends up meeting Lisa, obviously. So you, you set this all up within a couple of minutes. Uh, and then you get the phone call where you get the the guy basically giving the exposition uh, over the phone, basically saying, "Oh, you're you're laid up for two weeks or whatever. Uh, you've only got one week left, so you know." And then so now you know that okay, he's in a wheelchair, and that's where he's going to stay for the whole movie. Uh, and then pretty much right after right after that phone call, you see uh, uh, Thelma Ritter, who is his uh, who is his nurse, um, who comes to take care of him. Uh, it's an insurance company nurse, which is something I don't think they do anymore. Uh, but basically, she's, she's there to kind of take care of him, like change his clothes, you know, give him massages, things like that. Uh, and then she kind of uh, gives us a little bit of exposition on, you know, Jeff is a he's too adventurous and he needs to settle down, find a woman, blah 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 blah. Right. So you get all of that within the first five ten minutes of the film, and you're all set up for for character development for the rest of it. And I think this is one of those movies too. It must. I don't know if he did it for all of his movies, but I, I'm sure this had to be one of them. Where he, I'm sure he told the theater, "Don't let people in late," because if you come in late, this movie, you miss all of this. Like in the, like you said, the first five minutes, you get everything you need to know to go forward with this movie. And if you miss that, like you're just gonna be sitting there, like, uh, you know. So it's just, it was just something that Hitchcock was just so great at, just taking all these things and there's a lot going on in this movie not just with your main character not just with the your uh, side character Thelma Ritter but there's a lot going on even with the background characters it was a bustling apartment complex each little each apartment or each character uh, background character it had like something about them like made them you that made them unique that made them you know I guess realistic is is the best way to put it um and you just you get all of that. If you just have to, you ingest all that information just in five minutes, and it's just he was just so great at being able to do that. Exactly, and then 
not only does he does he introduce all this stuff about about the main characters, like you said, he, he introduces all the different characters we're going to be watching throughout the film, um, including uh, Miss Torso, who's this half naked. <laughs> His half-naked dancer from across the courtyard. Um, he sees that there's a uh, a uh, a newlywed couple, kind of to the next of him, that are apparently always having sex. Um, there's uh, <laughs> there's a weird married couple that is always sleeping outside. They have a little dog. Uh, there's an there's an artist that sculpts uh, weird sculptures. Uh, there's a composer that's always composing a, a melody uh, that gets completed by the end of the by the end of the movie, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, and uh, am I missing anybody? Uh, yeah, oh, Miss Lonely Heart, Miss yeah, Lonely Hearts, who is the uh, uh, who's the middle-aged woman who um, is clearly always having a uh, is clearly you know depressed that that she doesn't have a man in her life, and um, I think that's everyone except for the Thorwalds, right? Thorwalds, yeah, and yeah. the Thorwalds who are the kind of key uh, the the key uh, subject of uh, of Jeff's. Uh, of Jeff's kind of viewpoint in fantasy and 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 not fantasy but obsession uh, is uh, a middle aged like traveling salesman uh, with a sick wife in bed and then one night um, in during a thunderstorm you hear the you hear a woman scream don't and then the next day as Jeff is people watching again he notices that Mrs Thorwald is missing and he starts to develop the idea that she has been murdered. Exactly. And then you, you get to uh right even before this, you get to kind of know Jeff a little better, kind of see where his uh his mindset is right now. I mean you gotta remember this guy has been in a wheelchair in a cast for about what do you say, seven weeks at this point? Mm-hmm. I think it's seven weeks. And this guy is just dying of boredom. And even um even Stella calls him out on it that, you know, it's not healthy what you're doing, you should be in bed, you know, you shouldn't be uh you know, essentially, like, don't be that peeping Tom weird guy. And, you know, of course, we can get into this later if you want. But, you know, this whole film is just a big, you know, one of the big themes here is like the voyeuristic aspect of it. You know, it's like, you know, you know, L.B. Jeffries, you know, is essentially being a peeping Tom of voyeur by, you know, spying on his neighbors, quote unquote. But at the same time, it kind of speaks to like what us as he, what he's turning us, the audience, into, which is also voyeurs, which is kind of a really kind of neat way to kind of play with that concept and kind of turn it on its head. <laughs> it's, it's kind of creepy, too, the way he does it. But having said that, um, you also, right before the whole thing with the, with the, when he hears the scream, you get to meet uh, Lisa, which is, who was played by Grace Kelly, and you get to see that he's obviously not happy in his relationship. You know, uh, Lisa wants to settle down with him, you know, get married, and she wants him to leave his photography job and and not so much, you know, his photography job, but like become like a fashion photographer, you know, be with her. Like, you know, she has all these connections because she's part of that Fifth Avenue crowd that uh, L.B. Jeffries likes to kind of um, disdainingly call them. And, you know, she's like, I can get you like any job there you want. But, of course, with him, he's all about adventure. He's all about you know, getting his feet wet, getting his hair dirty, like, and he, he's, that's not his kind of life. He doesn't want to live, you know, that kind of, that kind of existence. So that's where kind of they don't see eye to eye much, you know, you know, he always sees Lisa as like someone that is part of that, you know, ritzy crowd that's never, that's not, doesn't have an adventurous bone in her body that and won't ever change because she's just too instilled in that crowd. Well, 
and which is what which mainly the reason why he does not really attracted to her because he wants somebody more to his level that's more like him that more like wants to take life by the bull the bull by the horn so to speak and just kind of go out and on different adventures all the time and that really speaks to like how he's feeling as a character right now stuck in his apartment kind of just bored nothing to do at the same time wanting to get out of this relationship with lisa who was i mean any <laughs> warm-blooded male would not want that and stella makes fun of him in, in in that scene when he's like she's like giving a massage or whatever like she makes fun like you know any man with a brain would like you know tag her and marry her and all that stuff and you know he's just it just it just speaks to like where Jeff is in his life right now that he doesn't see Lisa as a viable as a viable partner. And, and for for that matter, Jeff is kind of a dick to her. Uh, I mean, he, he 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 she comes over. I mean, this is Grace Kelly at like the peak of her Grace Kelly, right? I mean, she right. she's absolutely from a physical standpoint absolutely gorgeous but not just that like she treats him like a king she she brings lobster over to his house and serves yeah. on him hands and foot and like you know stays the night you know even though you're not supposed back then you're not supposed to do those sort of things because landlords get in your business about those sort of things uh right. she stays the night and you know he's a very um uh lucky man and he just doesn't because he's so afraid of commitment and um uh of being tied down to uh, uh, you know, a quote unquote average life. Uh, he, he, you know, kind of starts to reject her and tries to start to push her away. Um, so that's it. You won't stay here, and I can't go with you. It would be the wrong thing. You don't think either one of us could ever change? Right now, it doesn't seem so. I'm in love with you. I don't care what you do for a living. I'd just like to be part of it somehow. It's deflating to find out the only way I can be part of it is to take out a subscription to your magazine. I guess I'm not the girl I thought I was. No, there's nothing wrong with you, Lisa. You've got this town on the palm of your hand. Not quite, it seems. Goodbye, Jeff. Well, you mean good night. I mean what I said. Well, well, Lisa, couldn't we just, uh, couldn't we just keep things status quo? Without any future. Well, when am I going to see you again? Not for a long time. At least, not until tomorrow night. Um, and you know, the, the worst, the, I think the most douchey thing he does is whenever like she brings his dinner over, it's this beautiful, like lobster dinner. And she's like, what do you think? He's like, it's perfect. I'm like, dude, come on. Yeah. You, you, I, and any, like, like you said, any warm blooded heterosexual male would kill for someone who looked like Grace Kelly to come deliver lobster to them, you know, while they're sitting around. I mean, come on. Exactly. Um, that that scene, at, at, just as a male, did bother me. Like you know, you you want every time it does. Like it gets worse every time, actually, because she's like, you know, what do you think? And then Hitchcock zooms in on the plate, and you see the delicious lobster that's sitting right in front of him. Then you see Jimmy Stewart, Lisa. It's 
perfect. And he says it in that tone, like, come on, bro. Like, and then there's really? A, the, it's lobster. The other line that he does that he says, it's whenever, um, when she's, when they're, you know, kind of starting to plot, you know, maybe they could like team up and try to solve this mystery. She says something about being his girl Friday. And he, and he goes, oh, it's funny. They, the, the guy never really marries her, do they? And I'm like, dude, really? <laughs> That's another classic we should be talking about here one day. Right yeah, now. we should we should talk about his girl Friday, but uh, but yeah. So uh, it's basically the film basically proceeds uh, as you as Jeff and slash the viewer starts to see different things happening outside the window. He becomes more and more and more convinced that he that that Thorwald, Lars Thorwald uh, did indeed kill his wife. And then at first, you know, uh, Stella, his his uh, his nurse, who. You know, didn't believe him, but then she kind of starts to listen to him and starts to kind of uh, starts to kind of get it, get in, uh, get involved. And the first time she starts getting involved, whenever she makes some breakfast and, and just as he's about to eat like some sausage, she's like, "Where do you think they buried the body?" And he's about and he starts to get grossed out by all these kind of morbid conversations that she's having. Um, but yeah, so and then after that. Uh, then Grace Kelly, or sorry, Lisa, starts to get involved too. Whenever she spends the night, one night, and starts to kind of notice some some different weird things going on across the across the way. So he involves both of these women in his life in this in this uh, in this mystery, and then he even calls uh, an old detective friend of his uh, to try and investigate. But that, of course, he's not coming up with anything suspicious at all. Yeah, and it, it turns out like Thorwald pretty much had a great alibi for everything. Like, they showed earlier, I think, um, right after the whole thing happened with, with the scream, you you see that uh, Thorwald, I think, they, I don't know if it's that morning or if it's right after, but Thorwald leaves the apartment with a woman. And Hitchcock wants you to see that on purpose. Because at that point, you're thinking, well, that has to be his wife, right? And that's the same uh, conclusion that the detective, Doyle, played by Wendell Corey, by the way, comes up with you know he, he drove his wife to the train station they were he put on her on the train to Meritsville um and he received a letter from her from Meritsville saying that she got home that's not she got that she got there okay so okay so now uh Jeff looks like a, a nut to his friend now and I think at that point that's when everything ends as far as like his uh suspicion until we have an unfortunate death yeah, uh, and then but, but going back to to that, what you were going back to one one uh, one step before that, whenever uh, he's talking about how Thorwald was seen leaving uh, leaving with a woman, and the audience sees that, but very importantly, Jimmy Stewart does not. Jeff does not see that because yes. he's sleeping at that point. So it, it the, so Hitchcock very cleverly puts the doubt in our mind, but not in 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 Jeff's mind yet because which so is we're great on... because we're supposed to be thinking what he's thinking because we're seeing things and the way he he uses the camera in that kind of first person kind of view where we're what we're seeing what Jeff is seeing but at that and so we're having the same mindset that he does which kind of plays into the whole you know the audience is the voyeur here kind of theme but and most important like you just said we see Thorwald and the quote unquote wife leave the apartment. He does not. So, it, like you said, it's implanting the doubt in our mind, and now we're questioning our what we're seeing because Jeff didn't see that, and he's still convinced that there's something fishy going on at the Thorwalds. So then Jeff uh, gets another kind of suspicion again after that. Whenever the poor little uh, dog that lives across the way of the two married people that live on the uh, 
that 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 sleep out on the balcony. Uh, whenever that dog is found dead, dead with his neck broken, and the entire courtyard, you know, comes out to the the the, the woman, the the owner of the dog, screaming, and then every and she kind of flips out and tells them how they're all horrible people, and then nobody nobody smiles or and says hello to each other, and uh, they, you know, the, she gets the dog back. But one of the things that you notice is one. Thorwald never comes out, and he's he's just sitting in his apartment smoking. You just see a little orange light of a cigarette smoking. But the other thing, which is kind of interesting, is maybe the the day before or earlier that day, uh, and a few scenes before that, you see the little dog digging in the garden that Thorwald is always trying to is always kind of upkeeping. Um, and then as he sees the dog, even though the audience has been conditioned to think, well, maybe he's the villain, maybe he did kill his wife. He's very gentle with the dog, and he kind of kind of scoots it along out of the way which is almost even more um it's even more kind of chilling to see that than is and then if you would have been like kicking the dog and tell him to get out of there you know well that's a hitchcock i guess trademark because if you really look at um hitchcock's films and his villains hitchcock was a very cynical man because he and you know and he had, i mean it's true I'll just go on the record saying it's true. You know, the evil, the evil in our world, the evil that exists can hide within the most normal of appearances. And that's basically what Hitchcock is going with here. You know, when you see a movie and you see, you know, you have a hero or protagonist, you have a villain, an antagonist, and the villain acts like a villain. You know, so it's, it's pretty obvious to see, okay, this is the bad guy. We were conditioned to see, okay, this is the good guy, this is the bad guy. The way Hitchcock would style his villains, they'd look like normal people, which says, you know, which is, is goes to that theme of, you know, okay, evil exists within, you know, the most normal or most regular of appearances. And it's so true, you know, and, and it's, 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 you don't have to be a cynical person to kind of agree with that aspect, you know, and, and that was another brilliant way that Hitchcock kind of molded, molded his films. Yeah, and then at the end, whenever you kind of find out like his his motivation, it's so it's so kind of almost boring as to why he did it, you know? Uh exactly. he basically just wanted to he 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 was sick of his wife and he wanted to be with another woman. And that's pretty much it. And he killed his wife. Uh and and it's just so it there was no like grand like con like, you know, scheme or anything. It was just like I'm going to kill my wife and I'm going to hide it so I can be, run off with this woman. And that was it. Um, so you're right. It, it is kind of like he, he's almost so nonchalant about it because the next day, whenever you see, uh, whenever you, whenever Jeff is spying on him, you see him just kind of walking around his apartment very nonchalantly, you know, wrapping up the knife and newspaper and the saw and newspaper. He's very like kind of as if he's, you know, uh, you know, chopping a tomato or something. You know, it's very, very nonchalant, very like n- normal thing to, to be doing. Exactly. Exactly, and and that scene too with the uh, with the when they find the dog dead, um, you know, and and the uh, the lady, the owner, starts scolding everybody. You know, you uh, you know, you're. Uh, she basically says, you know, you're all bad neighbors. You don't talk to each other. You know, you're all you're all strangers. Nobody helps each other. She kind of goes on this rant. So after you know after killing the dog, uh, you know, Jeff and uh, Jeff starts to really then. Absolutely, can be convinced that that uh, that Thorwald uh, killed his wife. So he so after discussing with with with, uh, with Stella and and um, and Lisa, 
you know, he he kind of concocts a plan to slip a note under his door that says something like, I know you did it or something like that. Uh, so, so Lisa what, runs over. What, what did you do with your wife or something? Yeah. Like what did that. you do with your wife? Something like that. So he slip, and then Lisa runs over there and slips it under his door. And this is when we start to see Lisa, not only is she fully involved in the mystery, but at this point she's also like fully involved in wanting to get involved with everything because she wants to be, um, she wants to be part of that life. She wants to show Jeff that, yes, I can be adventurous. Yes, I can get my hands dirty. Yes, I can do this. And and this is whenever you start to see Jeff kind of start to notice that about her and start to kind of fall, you know, fall more in love with her than he was before. Exactly. And then you see uh, – so after uh, she slips the note, right, he shows up, he sees it, and then I think they can they tell just someone's reaction that he starts to kind of panic. And then I think to get him out of the apartment, he calls him and says that, you know, I want to meet with you at the hotel, at a hotel, you know, in 15 minutes. So he, that gets him out of the apartment. Meanwhile, Stella and Lisa break in through the, well, first they go to the garden to see if the body's really there, which is the, what the dog was sniffing before. And they don't find anything. So then Lisa decides she's the open window. And she's like, I'm going to climb into that window and find the wedding ring. Because I believe he saw, like, he, he had, like, his wife's jewelry and, like, her purse or something, and they made the conclusion, well, you know, if she was going away on a trip, you know, a woman never leaves her jewelry behind. Yeah, it's a little, so, a little, a little 1950s thinking, but all right. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, so, so she climbs through the window, and she actually finds Mrs. Thorwald's wedding ring. Now, again, that was one of the points he was trying to make to Doyle. Like, if, you know, if you're married, you don't take your wedding ring off for nothing. So why would... Her wedding ring still be in the apartment if she was away. So then the tension rises because at that point you see uh, Thorwald come back, and you see, and then uh, Jeff starts to panic. Stella starts to panic because they re- there's nothing they can do except call the police at this point. And then uh, you know Thorwald comes in, he sees uh, Lisa. They get into this thing. You know, you know, I was just I saw the door open, so I, like not like that excuse would actually work. You know, but but anyway. And then there's a struggle, and then uh, I what happened? I think the police show up right on time, right with the landlord. I think. Yeah, they show. That, I mean, this is the most, this is the fastest police response I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but they show up with the landlord, and then it kind of uh, uh, she gets out of trouble from from getting basically. He starts like throwing her around. Yeah, he starts throwing right? her around, and Jeff basically, uh, basically he's he, he's completely useless. He, he can't do anything. He's powerless as he's watching this. Precinct 6, Sergeant Allgood. Hello. Hello. Look, a man is assaulting a woman at 125 West 9th Street, second floor, the, the rear. No, make it fast. Okay. L.B. Jeffries. Uh, Chelsea 25598. Oh, no. Jeff! Oh, no. Please. Stella, what do we do? Jeff! Jeff! Will you come? What's she trying to do? Why don't she turn him in? She's a smart girl. Smart girl? She'll get herself arrested. It'll get her out of there, won't it? Look, the wedding ring. So she gets arrested, 
which kind of gets her into clear out of Thorwald, out of the danger of Thorwald. Uh, but now Jeff, now that Thorwald knows that something's up, because she screamed Jeff's name, he knows that something is going on and somebody is watching him. I mean, he already knew somebody was watching him, but he now now he knows that somebody within the apartment complex is watching him. Right, right, and um, and I I like the little uh, scene here where um, uh, Jeff tries to get bail money for to to get Lisa out, and then he has to go into her purse, and she only has like what like fifty bucks or something in there, which is I guess kind of a comical take from Hitchcock saying, you know, this here's the affluent Lisa, and yet she only has like what, pretty much nothing in, in her uh in her in her purse so stella takes the money to to the station to try to bail her out in the meantime he calls doyle i know i think doyle calls him back because he called doyle the first time he wasn't there so doyle calls him back and he tells him everything that just went down you know that you know any wish i i, I kind of find this funny like he's whispering to him over the phone but like why does he have to whisper that's kind of a weird weird part i guess you know he doesn't even know that thorold is watching him yet i guess at this point so um He's still he's whispering to Doyle, you know, the dog, the dog that was taking up the garden. You know, I love how Jimmy Stewart in this scene is absolutely perfect, bro. Like the wedding ring. She found the wedding ring. Why would you not have the wedding ring if she's going on a trip to Barrettsville? Or whatever the hell he said, right? And, and so that he hangs up with Doyle and he's going to the police station to try to get Lisa out without having to do use any bail money or whatever. So the phone rings again, he picks up thing in his Doyle, Doyle, are you there yet? And then there's silence on the phone. And no, then because, Jeff kind of shuts up. Because right? he says, I think Thorwald is gone, blah, blah. And then he's like, and then he realizes, oh, crap. <laughs> there's silence on the phone. Then you hear the click on the other end, and you're like, oh, no. Oh, crap. <laughs> it's about to go down. And then this is whenever this is the this is the part that I find so intriguing about the film so first of all you get you get this great sound of him clomping up those stairs very slowly and jeff not knowing what to do he's in a wheelchair stella's gone lisa's gone doyle's not there he's in the dark there's nothing for him to like he, he has nothing to do but then he, he gets the idea of uh of using his his uh his the flash bulbs on his on his camera yeah so now, 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 let me say this real quick now this is a this is a scene where artistic expression or artistic merit is really emphasized here because Hitchcock kind of takes realism and sacrifices that for drama, for suspense. And it works because it does not take a guy like five minutes to climb up a set of stairs, right? So, but Hitchcock is deliberately tap, tap. You hear the footsteps and it's deliberate because he, all he's doing is building suspense, building tension, and it works here. So, in this sense, you know, okay, sacrificing realism to build drama it, it works and it's effective absolutely uh and, and it's and then the great shot of of when you see you know silhouetted against the door frame you see Thorwald there and he's and he just and this is where it's interesting this is where it's fascinating because the whole time we've been this voyeur right and we've been a voyeur along with with Stuart uh along with Jeff and been looking at all these people's lives and everything and then now there's this guy who we who Stuart and us, the audience, have been spying on the entire movie, and now he's confronting both Jeff and the audience and saying, who, who are you? What do you want? And even though you know that he is a killer and he, and he killed his wife and he's a, bad, he's a horrible human being, you kind of feel guilty at that moment. As a viewer, you're like, 
Oh, because you feel awkward. You would feel the same awkwardness you would feel is if someone caught you staring at them or spying on them in public and then came and confronted you about it. What do you want from me? Your friend, the girl, could have turned me in. Why didn't she? What is it you want? A lot of money? I don't have any money. Say something. Say something. Tell me what you want. Of course, he tried. Then they had the confrontation. Uh, Jeff keeps blinding him with the uh, with the flash bulbs. It's Which is not that realistic, to be honest with you. But again, he's sacrificing that for suspense, and and here it works. It that it absolutely works. Um, and then, of course, they have a. They eventually do have a uh, a confrontation, and he tries to throw him out the window. Uh, but then the police, which is the most awkward window fall I've ever seen in movies. But <laughs> it really it, is. It, 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 it's it's awkward and wacky enough to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, and um, and of course, you know the, and the cle- face he has when he falls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a pretty funny face. That's a very exaggerated face. <laughs> uh, but as they um. Uh, the police arrive just in time. He after he falls out of the window, a break breaking another leg, um, and uh, he you know Thorwald you know is caught. He confesses, and then that's that kind of the end of the mystery, right? Uh, then the last shot in the film is you see Jimmy Stewart both <laughs> sleeping in his wheelchair, both legs now in casts, uh, as as he's you know content with life, uh, and you see Lisa sitting beside him, and then as she when she notices she's reading like a like a National Geographic or some kind of magazine like that. And as soon as she realizes that he's asleep, she switches back to her, to her fashion magazine, kind of saying, yeah, you know, I, I was I was willing to do some things for him, but now I'm going to go back to doing my thing too. Exactly. And then that's where it ends. And that's where it ends. So, that, so we went through the plot kind of quickly there. So there's a couple of things that uh, we didn't talk about that I really, I really wanted to kind of go into here. Um, the first is that uh, this whole film – is kind is is an exercise in, in editing, uh, and and it is definitely in an exercise in what's called a reaction editing, um, where basically you see something, uh, where you see the uh, the subject sees something off screen, you cut to what the person is looking at, and then you cut back to their reaction, and then that reaction tells you everything you need to know about what's going on there, uh, and that that's basically the whole movie of him just looking at stuff and getting a reaction out of that. Exactly. It's uh, because what happens there is his reaction or the character's reaction becomes the audience reaction because this is our main character. This is the person who we're following. So whatever he feels, that's the signal saying, okay, we're supposed to be feeling like that. So it kind of already programs the audience to feel this way about one thing, this way about something else. And it's just it's, – it's an interesting way to, to, to edit and to, to make film. Exactly, and and it really and it as I said, it really kind of gives tells you exactly what to feel because you project what you're feeling onto whatever Stewart's reaction is. Um, right. The other thing that I want to mention is that uh, in the original Cornell Woolrich story, the other characters in the windows aren't there. It's just 
the Jeffries character watching the Thorwald character, and he's not really watching anybody else. There's no Miss Lonely Hearts. There's no composer. There's no. There's nobody. Which I th- so and I, which I think is kind of brilliant because if it would have just been him watching just Thorwald, the movie may have gotten a little boring. You had to have those other characters to kind of give it kind of a more human element and give it more realistic feel that this is actually kind of a lived-in place with all these different characters that you know could, could conceivably be there. Exactly, exactly. And then that's what I was about to make a point with as well. The fact that in this instance, he uses the realistic aspect. And like he could have just easily just adapted, you know, the short story, you know, Jeff is watching Thorwald and that's it. But like you said, he needed the background to be a little more lively than that because then it, it could get kind of dull, I would assume. So you have the realistic aspect of, okay, this is the apartment complex. There's obviously more than two people living in this. So let's get to know, to a point, everybody else. Miss Torso, Miss Lonely Hearts, the composer, the family that sleeps on the fire escape for some reason, the newlyweds, you know, and then it becomes more lively. It becomes more like, okay, this is an actual home. This is an actual apartment complex that people live in, you know, and it just adds, and it just, and it helps the story along. Right, and and what I think is interesting is that uh, in one of the commentaries or one of the special features that I, that, that Hitchcock's purposely put across the way, he put different. Um, he had a different relationships that were in different stages of their relationship to kind of counter what was going on in, in Jeff's own life. So he saw the newlyweds who were happy and, and basically having sex all the time, uh, which which is very. I mean, it's funny because they never say that's what they're doing, but it's very clear what the it di- it's it's it very clear. Implied. It's very heavily implied. Um, my favorite line is whenever. Uh, Whenever Lisa is questioning him on on his theory that Laura, uh, Lars Thorwald killed his wife, and she like looks over at the closed window of of the duty window, he's like, "For for all you know, something sinister could be happening behind those curtains." And he goes, uh, "No comment." <laughs> <laughs> oh, no comment. <laughs> Which is funny. it's just, it's the kind of stuff that 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 Rich, uh, Hitchcock did to get around like the, the censorship stuff. The but censorship, uh, yeah. uh, but then you also see the, the the couple across the way that sleeps on the fire escape. They they're in a seemingly happy relationship. And then you see uh, Thorwald and and his wife, obviously, who are in the worst case scenario of their relationship. And this is a man, you know, you 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 have they're almost kind of married to each other because you have a Jeff who doesn't want to be in this relationship that he finds stifling, and then you have Thorwald who's in the same situation, but he takes it that step further where he actually kills the woman to get out of that relationship. Exactly. So you know, it, it just and everything is is very subtle that Hitchcock does, but it kind of speaks to, you know, our main characters who we're supposed to be paying attention to in the sense that, you know, like you said, each one's each one of these people, these tenants, reflects Jeff's views, Jeff's habits, you know, on marriage, on relationships. And it's it's not something that you pick up the first time you ever you see this movie. It's 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 a, this is a like like we said at the beginning, this is a film that lends itself to multiple viewings. And with every viewing you kind of discover, okay, Oh, maybe he was trying to say this with that or this with that, and then it you just it just opens your mind a little more. Right. Because nothing nothing in this film was a mistake. Everything was highly planned. This is a massive set that they built on a sound stage. Um, you know, it was like several, you know, it was at least three or four stories high, you know, however long, however tall the the uh, the apartment buildings were. It had its own different lighting configurations for like daytime and nighttime and dusk and dawn. Uh and and every character 
was always doing something in the background. So they were always given direction as to what, even if they weren't being, even if Jeff wasn't looking at them, even if whatever, they were always going on with their lives in some way or some, in some way or another. Uh, and, and that was all planned out by Hitchcock, which I mean, that that's why I think this is such a kind of a massive achievement in this film. My, uh, my film professor said once during class, he says, the worst thing you can say, the worst answer you can give to the question, why did you film a scene this way is because it looks cool. That is the absolute worst answer you can give. Because everything in a scene, everything that you film, must have a purpose. If you're just if you're just filming it this way, oh, because it looks cool, that's not a real purpose. That's that's uh, the sign of a bad filmmaker, which Hitchcock was not. Like he said, everything that he did was planned to the T. Everything that we saw on screen was there for a reason. That's the hallmark of a brilliant filmmaker because he uses he, he plans things out so meticulously that. When we see something, we can almost, maybe not on the first viewing, but eventually we can kind of connect the dots and understand, oh, so he was giving us a hint. Oh, well played, sir. You know, and it becomes, it enriches the film that much more. One of the things, exactly, I agree with everything you just said, um, but one of the things to strengthen that point is the composer and the music. Um and this is not something I didn't actually realize until this watching of it, um, is that the melody that the composer is writing is actually called Lisa. Now, it's not called Lisa within the context of the story, but that's what it's called for the, you know, you know, on the soundtrack album or whatever. It's called Lisa. Uh, and throughout the film, it, it's an unfinished melody. At the very beginning, it's uh, it's kind of just like, He's playing scales. He's kind of trying to get it. He's frustrated. And as the film progresses, he keeps getting more and more of it. And then the and there's at one point where uh, Lisa and during one of the visits where Lisa is is over at Jeff's, she says the words. Oh, it's almost as if it was being written especially for us, which is such a cheeky way of saying like <laughs> it's exactly what it is. Uh, because at the end of the because when he finally completes the story, uh, sorry, when he finally completes the composition, it's whenever. Jeff and Lisa's relationship is at its closest and it's at its strongest. So I, that's another one of those things where like, it's absolutely, uh, it's absolutely not a, it's like they're writing that song for us. Wink, wink. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's brilliant. Um, so what do you think? And I think that, and I think Hitchcock has kind of confirmed this, but not really. So I kind of want to talk about it a little bit here. Uh, what do you think about the very often, uh, repeated, theory or analysis of the film that basically that the camera that Jeff uses the entire movie is basically acting as a, a, phallic, as symbol, a phallic symbol. Right? <laughs> I, uh, I read, I was doing research and I read that like, you know, the way that the camera's positioned on his lap, you know, especially when he's looking at Miss Torso at that, in that scene, you know, that's Hitchcock's cheeky way of saying, Oh, you know, she's hot. So it's, it's supposed to be a phallic symbol. I can see him doing that. I don't know if it's necessarily true, but because it's Hitchcock, I, I would believe if he planned that, which I'm, I'm like 50-50 whether he did or not, but it's, uh, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty hilarious way to look at it. 
I think it is. I think it is just because it is Hitchcock, and he was a little bit of a pervert. Like, so, <laughs> uh, I mean, he, he was a little tiny bit of a pervert. Uh, and I, I could definitely see him doing that uh, on purpose. And, you know, there are certain things that when you point to it, you're like, well, okay, that makes sense. For example, I mean, for example... Jeff is laid up in a wheelchair. He can't move. He can't do anything. So in other words, he's, quote-unquote, he's impotent, right? The only time he gets kind of excited, the only time he gets uh, excited about life or or anything is when he starts watching these people from across the way. And what does he do? He pulls out this big telescopic lens on his camera, right? And then that's and whenever he's watching, uh, you know, the Thorwalds or, or he's trying to – that's whenever that camera comes out. And that's when he's most excited, you know? And then he doesn't do – he doesn't get that – excited for lisa until she's running across the the courtyard and, and running into the apartment and he's looking at her through the, the through the long angle lens so it's i could certainly see that being on purpose it certainly seems like it is um and it's uh I, i'll never i'll never not look at it that way now after after the yeah, same here <laughs> because once you wa- once you have that going into the movie and you see him pull out that camera every every time it starts to kind of lend more it, it kind of starts to like give you more credence to that to that uh, theory yeah it, it, when i first read that i just i just like right now i just burst out laughing because it's like it's it that's so hitchcock that's so something that he would do you know and then when i watched it another time like right after i read that article and i'm watching it again and now i i can't unwatch that now now i'm gonna think that every time i see it and it was brilliant like it was that scene like he's looking at miss torso he has the lens out and i think stella's scolding him for for doing that then he puts it on his lap with the lens still sticking out like oh okay well well played again well played sir I mean, and, and not only, I mean, not only is it, is it, is he kind of combining the whole phallus thing, but he's also combining it with, um, uh, he's also combining it with voyeurism, which is kind of a fetish in and of itself, right? So, uh, it's, it's a little, you know, it's a little, it's a little interesting. I don't know. It is, it is. It's, uh, but I mean, what, what else can we say other than it's Hitchcock? It's like we've come to expect this from him by this point. But my my thing with Hitchcock is that if you think you're spotting something that he did, then that's probably what he was doing. Exactly. Like we've already said here on the show, he planned meticulously out everything that showed up on his on his films. So uh, the fact that we kind of caught something and we can kind of say, hmm. Did he really mean that? I most like that ninety percent of the time the answer is yes. That was exactly what he was going for. <laughs> yeah. So so um, we kind of this kind of touched on on some of the topics I already wanted to talk about. So do you have anything else you wanted to kind of go over? Not really. I mean, we pretty much hit the main points here. Although what I did, there was a couple things I did like because every tenant. Every apartment had its own story. Obviously, the Thorwald's apartment kind of tied into the main story with uh, with uh, with Jeff and Lisa. But you had the um, you had the couple on the on the fire escape, which I mean, they didn't really have much of a story other than the dog dying. But you had like the married couple that you didn't see for nothing until almost the end of the movie because the shades were always down. Then you had Miss Lonely Hearts, bro, and that's the one where I, that I think. Because at the beginning, when Lisa goes to the apartment the first time, she kind of sees, like, 
Miss she sees herself in both Miss Lonely Hearts and Miss Torso. Because remember the scene where Miss Torso is trying to fight off the guys and she's like, you know, she's doing a woman's hardest job. She's fighting off wolves or whatever she said. That's uh you know, Lisa sees herself in that role because, you know, of, of how attractive she is, and she sees her herself in Miss Lonely Hearts because she can tell that Jeff is not returning her affections and she feels like Miss Lonely Hearts. You know, and it at the end of the movie when she almost, you know, she's gonna kill herself. I mean, you don't really like. There's no like. Even Jeff thinks, oh, you know, Stella or I forgot, what, Stella or Lisa is overreacting. You know, she's just sitting in her uh, in her room like writing something, and then you see later, oh, she's about to take those pills. She's gonna kill herself until she hears the composer, the with the finished, seemingly the finished Lisa song, and that stops her from going through with it. Like she hears the melody and she just stops in her tracks. You know, so I kind of like that little mini story they had with Miss Lonely Hearts. And now at the end of the movie, you see, I, you assume that maybe the composer and Miss Lonely Hearts got together because she's in his apartment listening to the song. And you see Miss Lonely Hearts, you're expecting, you know, her, her significant other to be like this like tall, dark, and handsome guy. And here you see this like little, like, a, a guy that's about my height, <laughs> this little like soldier guy come home. And that's like that's her her lost like her long lost love that comes walking through the door, and you know that the the person you least expect to be with her is with her. So that's kind of a nice little ending to a to that little that little story of Miss Torso, and of course, I think I read you know, I heard in the commentary I read an article about how like Hitchcock likes to tie sex and food together. So <laughs> when the soldier comes home after you know he hugs Miss Torso, he says the first the first thing he says is you know got anything in the fridge I'm starving, which is supposed to be Hitchcock's wink wink. You know what's about to go down. So, but you know those things are like, like I said, he wanted every tenant, he wanted every background to have some sort of background story to go with it, which is very like another realistic aspect of, of of the film. And you know those two, I think, kind of help to highlight, you know, where also Jeff is at this point with his relationship with Lisa. Yeah, exactly. And and one another thing that I think is kind of interesting about that about the whole Miss Lonely Hearts thing is that <clears throat> is that when he's watching her and she's about to commit suicide, um he he almost shows more sympathy and understanding for her than he does for for Lisa who is his actual girlfriend. I mean, there's one point in the movie where he like, you know, she's by herself and she like raises a glass of like wine and like toasts herself and like un- like unknowing that Jeff is watching her and he kind of toasts her too, you know? And it's yeah. like but but at the same time he's ignoring his own girlfriend who's like in the room with him. So in the room with him exactly. <laughs> you know. Uh it's just one of those things. And the um but uh, so right now um Right now, again, I'm watching the. Uh, uh, I have the the film in the background here, and it's right around the time where where Lisa has just gotten back uh, from slipping the note under Thorwald's door, and she's like super excited. And then you cut to Jeff's face, that again reaction editing, and he is he's almost aroused like, at how much <laughs> yes. and how much he is by this woman, right? Uh, and and then. You know, and I'm looking at the at, at his at his camera, and I swear that lens is getting longer. I swear it's getting longer. <laughs> and I'm sure that's not by accident. Um, but yeah, so so that's 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 Rear Window. It 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 is um one of the greatest films of all times. One of the best, you know, Hitchcock movies. It is my favorite Hitchcock movie. Um, out of everything, because it is just so compact. It, it, everything takes place in one location. Uh, literally one location. They never leave that apartment. Um, and the 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 film um 
just ratchets up the suspense, ratchets up the mystery, and it's you know you have fantastic performances from Jane Stewart, fantastic performance from uh, from uh, Grace Kelly, uh, who looks amazing in this film. Thelma Ritter, the MVP of the movie, in my opinion, she's just really funny. Uh, Wendell Corey is Doyle, um, and I love whenever he's when at the very end whenever uh, he's calling Doyle, like you said, whenever he's whispering, "Oh, he's got the dog in the dog," you know, you just hear Doyle on the other line going, "Yeah, uh huh, whatever, uh huh." <laughs> it cracks me up every time. Um, but yeah, just yeah. just a great film all around, um, and everyone should absolutely go out of their way to see it if they haven't already. But you should have watched it before you got before you before you listen to this episode. Um, Sorry, you were going to say something. Even if we spoiled it, it's, who cares? If you if you haven't seen Mirror Window, you listen to this show. Who cares if you know what happens? I'll just go see it. And you can see what we're talking about as far as just Hitchcock's brilliance and how he just uses his camera and how he creates his sets and how he frames his characters and how he frames his story. It's just everything is just so brilliant that who cares if you know what happens? Like you're still going to feel it as if you hadn't seen it before. All right, and, and like I said, it rewards multiple viewings. Every time I see it, I watch something different. You know, I I watched it. You said you watched it three times. I watched it about three times this time too, um, and uh, for this for this podcast, and uh, it, it I just kept noticing tiny little things every time. So, um, get once again, fantastic film. Um, exactly. Talking a little bit about its legacy, in 1997, the film was included in the United States National Film Registry, so it's uh, in the Library of Congress, and it will be preserved forever there. Um, it, the AFI has uh, included it on several uh, on several of its lists. It was number t- 42 in 100 Years, 100 Movies. It was number 14 in 100 Thrills, and number 48 in the 10th anniversary of 100 movies. So it slipped to the six spots, which I disagree with. Um, it was also the number three uh, mystery, according to AFI. Uh, and it also has, has been, you know, the source of some, some parodies and some, uh, some in, inspired some uh, remakes and such. You mentioned the, the Simpsons uh, episode. Uh, what is that Simpsons episode called? It's called Bard of Darkness, which I believe is from season four. Bard of Darkness. Okay, I'll have to check that one out. Um, I'm sorry, it's, it's actually season six, not season four. I apologize. Season six. It's the uh, season premiere, the first episode, so can't miss it. In fact, I, as soon as you after you finish watching Rear Window, go watch Bard of Darkness. <laughs> if you have uh, FX now, the app, you can watch the uh, they have the Every Symptoms Ever section where you can watch all the Simpsons episodes. Go to season six, episode one, Bard of Darkness is right there. All right. So sounds good. Um, it was also remade into a 1998 TV movie with the same name with Christopher Reeve. Do you know about this film? Never heard of it until you literally just mentioned it. It's a, it so. was called Rear Window, and it was Christopher Reeve, obviously after his accident where he was paralyzed. And it's basically the same story again, but this time Christopher Reeve plays the plays the James Stewart character uh, and using his real life accident as you know part of the part of the situation. You know, um, and I mean he plays a different character um, and. I saw the film because uh, I remember hearing about that it was a remake. So I, 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 I remember finding it, renting it, and watching it. It's okay. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's it's not great. It's in, it's interesting if you're a Rear Window fan and, and if you're um, a Christopher Reeve fan. Um, but it has. It's, I think it has Daryl Hannah as the love interest. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting um, to, to see. Um, it's wacky enough to actually maybe make me want to waste my time to watch it. 
it, it just sounds wacky. <laughs> it's on, you know, I just did a quick search. Uh, you can see it for free on YouTube. I, I'm looking at it right now on YouTube. It's there. So nice. uh, it, it's it's an hour and a half long, and it's a TV movie. So uh, there you go, the Christopher Reeve rear window version. It also uh, was remade in 2007 uh, with Shia LaBeouf as called Disturbia. I have not seen that one. Have you ever seen Disturbia? I've seen bits and pieces. Of it. I never can watch the whole thing in one sitting. I've seen, like, the beginning. I've seen the end. But I haven't really sat down and watched it in one, so yeah, I it's no, okay. I, yeah, I don't know if it's any good or not. I do know that uh, I remember seeing the the trailer for it. I'm like, wait, so this is Rear Window? They did they just make, remake Rear Window and call it Disturbia? Like, <laughs> because apparently that's all it is. It's style of both, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, all right. So I don't know if it's any good, but it was remade at least in those two instances and parodied in that uh, Simpsons episode that you talked about. Um, recommendations. Uh, I would recommend a couple of movies here, all Hitchcock films. Uh, one, I would recommend the uh, other, uh, not the other one, but one of the other Hitchcock-James Stewart collaborations, Vertigo, which we did several episodes ago. I think episode four, uh, we did Vertigo. I would re- recommend that. Uh, I would also recommend Dial M for Murder, which is Hitchcock and Grace Kelly again. And just because I Great love film. the movie. Uh, what's that? Great film. Uh, and just because I love the movie and it's the kind of a situation of the normal guy in a suspenseful in a suspenseful situation, uh, North by Northwest does the other Hitchcock film. Those would be my recommendations if you love Window. Pretty good, pretty good. Um, I know that if you have the Blu-ray of uh, Dollar for Murder, it's actually 3D, which I have the 3D TV, 3D Blu-ray players, so I actually got to watch the 3D version as it was intended, apparently, and uh, it's. I mean, it adds doesn't add much to it, but it's kind of cool to see what Hitchcock was going for with wanting it to be in 3D, you know? But the thing is, is if I remember that film enough, like the only th- part in the film that would be enhanced by 3D is the attempted murder of the Grace Kelly character. That's exactly right. But see, but the thing is, like, it, it adds to it, in my opinion, because the way that it's shot and the way that you see it in 3D, like, it's almost like you're doing the killing, which is what exactly what he's going for. And uh, it's it's pretty awesome. Okay. Um, well, I know the 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 iconic shot of her thrusting the hand out to the frame that that was definitely for three D there. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I would recommend those three films. Do you have any other recommendations based on that? Uh, you, you know what? I actually put sabotage there as part of a recommendation. It's kind of also along the same line with the suspense and all that. So I'd probably recommend that one as well. But the other ones you said already were, are, are perfect. Like, those are great recommendations. All right. But I'd put Sabotage there, too. Okay. Uh, and, and and again, the uh, 1998 Rear Window TV movie is on YouTube. You can watch it on YouTube for free. Uh, we don't recommend it. I don't necessarily it, recommend but it, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Enough, yeah. It's an interesting take. I mean, you have Christopher Reeve in a wheelchair, and, you know, it's an interesting take. Not a great take, but an interesting one. Um, so Rear Window is available on most streaming platforms, Amazon, iTunes, Google, and Vudu for rental or purchase. It is not streaming on Netflix, uh, but you can rent the disc on Netflix. Um, and, but I think the most optimal way to view it on home media, uh, obviously the most optimal way if you could find a screening of it, but on home media, the most optimal way to view it is the, uh, the Blu-ray version, especially in the master, Alfred Hitchcock Masterpiece Collection, uh, which includes 15 of his movies. And I just checked on Amazon before we went on the air is only $43, which is a steal. That, really? It's $43. That, it, 
Yeah, absolutely go for that. And go that, for it now, bro. And that set and, and that's a you know, as of now, May twelve, whenever we record this, it was forty three dollars. And that, that set includes almost all his classics. It includes Rear Window, includes Psycho, includes North by Northwest, includes the birds, includes Vertigo, Rope, uh Shadow of a Doubt, Frenzy, um The Man Who Knew Too Much. I mean, those are just off the top of my head. So you definitely have to go check out. It doesn't include his entire collection because there's some. It's just the films that this particular uh, distribution company has the rights to. But um, but it's still. I mean, those are some fantastic. I mean, that is film school in a box right there. It is, that's film school for forty three dollars. So uh, absolutely go out of your way to get that if, if you if you if you are a movie collector like we are. So before we wrap up the show and before we go to our random movie generator for our next film, I just want to quickly go down our This Film in History, This Week in Film History. Uh, it's a couple interesting notes here. Uh, this Week in Film History, and this is for the week of May 12th to the 19th. Uh, in 1928, you had the Buster Keaton classic Steamboat Bill Jr., which is a fantastic movie that you can watch for free on YouTube. Um, also, 1938, uh, you had The Adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn, which is still the best Robin Hood I think I've seen. Have you ever seen that one? I have. That's almost essential viewing. It is essential when you're, when you're doing Errol Flynn films. That's like, that has to be like near, near the top of the list. Absolutely. Uh, in 1950, a fantastic Humphrey Bogart film called In a Lonely Place, uh, which is uh, out... On Criterion, which, which is I own, actually. Yeah, which I is on Criterion, film. and it's absolutely beautiful transfer, beautiful film. Uh, go out of your way to see that. 1957, the Hammer Horror uh, film, The Curse of Frankenstein, which was their uh, take on the Frankenstein uh, story. Um, they took a little bit of liberties, but it's still great. Uh, Hammer, Hammer Horror films are always fun to watch. Um, 1982, uh, the classic Conan the Barbarian uh, right. with, with our boy Arnold. And Arnie. and in 1994, uh, a little film called The Crow was released. Uh, so that's this week <laughs> in film history. Uh, also, one one thing I did kind of want to mention, which I thought was interesting in my research, this week in 1929 was the first ever Academy Awards, which is weird that they took place in May. May. Um, that is weird. Yeah, the first ever Academy Awards where uh, Wings, was, Wings the, was the best was picture best winner. Picture. And uh, which was for outstanding picture, where Sunrise: A Song of Two Humans won for unique and artistic production. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, happened. Wings is a great film, by the way. I actually got to watch what it was one year. Must have been maybe like five years ago, because Turner Classics always does their Oscar month right before the Academy Awards. Yep. And they actually showed Wings, and I taped it because it was in my 1,000 Films to Watch Before You Die, or whatever the title of that book is, and. Yeah, that's why I first saw it for the first time. It's a great, it's a silent film, um, so if you're not used to that, you know you might maybe not enjoy it as much. But it really is a, a terrific film. But what's what's fantastic is that the action scenes are amazing because they, uh, I mean, these are real planes, you know, doing real stunts in the film. Right, are, it, it exactly. just looks fantastic when you think it's like 1929, you know, and they were flying all these planes around shooting at each other. It's pretty pretty wild. Yeah. All right, so that does it for this episode. But before we go, we have to do the task of figuring out what our next movie is going to be. All right. So I'm let me pull out for this. the go. random movie generator. And here we go. Okay, and the next film is the 1957 Best Picture winner, The Bridge on the River Kwai. Ooh, interesting. All right. That's a great one. 
It's a great film. Uh, so please go out, uh, make sure you rent it or buy it or however you're going to see it if you haven't watched it before, before we discuss it on our next show. That is uh, a great film. Uh, Alex, Sir Alec Guinness uh, leading, uh, leading the pack on that one. I believe he won an Oscar for that film. Um, but yeah, great film. Um, and one of the most spectacular, I think, stunts in movie history with whenever the, uh, the bridge spoiler alert goes up in the end. So, uh, <laughs> it's a fantastic film. Yes. Very anxious to talk about this one. Our boy, David Lean directed yeah, David this. Lean. So, uh, looking forward to the next show. All right. So that about do it for our show this week. Um, you can find us at EssentialFilmsPodcast.com. You can email me at EssentialFilmsPodcast at gmail.com. You can like the Essential Films on Facebook, and you can follow at Essential Films on Twitter. And please, if you enjoy the show, like, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. And, of course, listen to our other show, Force Perspective, uh, where we're, you know, in our next episode, we're going to be doing a 2017 summer movie countdown, or preview or however you want to call it uh and we're also going to be reviewing guardians of the galaxy volume two uh but recent episodes uh we did a, a two episode special on the not the green inferno but the cannibal holocaust um <laughs> not my not my favorite two episodes i gotta say just because i had to sit and watch that film again and i still blame you for that one <laughs> well, you're welcome by the way <laughs> um and well, we had a great time talking because it was more not so much about the film but it was just Traveling down memory lane, talking about like the VHS stores and that era of renting movies, which I res- didn't really get to enjoy. That's more your era, Adolfo. Yeah. So like we got you got to like reminisce on all that, all those good times. It is it is split into two parts. The first part is more about more nostalgia, more about like you just said, Grindhouse and and, and video stores and the VHS era and horror movies and VHS and all that stuff. And then the second part is more actually a, a deeper dive into the film itself. The film itself. Uh, yeah. And. Um, yeah. Uh, spoiler alert: I don't like the movie. <laughs> but but uh, so, so the random movie generator will not generate that movie. It will not. It was not in the random movie generator. <laughs> um, but uh, also follow Force Perspective on Twitter at FP Movie Podcast. Um, but Mark, where else can we find you? You can find me on Twitter also at SportsGuy five one five. Um, if you're into uh, pro wrestling, WWE, I actually just started a new show with uh, my boy Mike Denon called planet jobber so you can follow that show at rl planet jobbers as well uh this week we'll be talking about basically the last week in wrestling we're gonna we've been off for a couple weeks because of scheduling issues as well but we're gonna get a little bit into payback we're gonna recap you know raw and smackdown the past week and we're gonna do our next edition of do our crafters we're gonna introduce our picks i think the topic this week is our favorite dungeon of doom character so this guy actually made me go and watch old wcw so i can make a decision with this so um People, I think people are going to like my pick. So uh, check that out. Next episode should be up uh, on Sunday as well. So thank you for listening to our episode this week on War Window. Please be sure to tune in for our next episode, The Bridge on the River Kwai. And until next time, please stay essential. Goodbye, everybody. I'm sorry to help me or not, but if you told me you quit your job, we wouldn't have gotten married. Oh, honey, come on.